Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. I hope today is payday for you. Hope you have a chance to get out and go do some cool things with friends and family. A little bit limited right now as uh, things have kind of been tightened up a little bit around the state of Mississippi and other places uh, with the uh, COVID-19 stuff. I'm not going to get into any of that stuff today. I'm not going to have... Uh, any strong opinions about that uh just take care of yourself but i uh, hope you get a chance to enjoy the weekend whether it be outside on the lake or working in the yard or whatever hope that uh, the weekend finds you well and looks like it should be a nice weekend it is hot today it's one of those things you look up and you think man it's the middle of july already and man it's hot i'm already looking forward to fall and not just because of the fact the weather will be better but my hope is we're going to play some football we're going to talk a lot about what has happened in the past 24 hours extensively today. I also promise you guys part two, our first time to have a two-part top ten list. We had Van Halen, the David Lee Roth years on Wednesday. We're going to have Sammy Hagar years today. And listen, I'll be honest with you. As I've said on Wednesday, I don't hate the Sammy Hagar stuff. I know it's cool to be so oh, Van Hagar. Listen, there were some really good tracks uh, in the uh, Sammy Hagar years. I think some of Eddie Van Halen's uh, best work actually came in the second half of his career. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I love Eruption and all that stuff, You know, especially those first couple albums. You know, Eddie Van Halen was an innovator. You know, when he began tapping the neck and everything and using the, uh, the tremolo bar, it really changed soloing in rock and roll music, one of the greatest of all time. But to discount his work later in his career, I think it's disrespectful. But we're going to talk about that. And listen, I get it. A lot of people hate the fact when people change singers. And I do too because you, know, you change the, you know, the sound. I mean, that is, that is your identity is your singer. And so when you change singers, there's, there's a shift in the fan base. But uh, to suggest that uh, Ben Haywin did not produce quality music after David Lee Roth left the band, I, I believe is inaccurate. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man. I tell you, I'm so glad to have them around. And uh, listen, these guys are going to do right by you. Uh, they are going to do a good job feeding you and your family. They're also going to take the necessary protocols uh, to protect themselves, their employees, and their customers when it comes to the COVID-19 virus. I had kind of grown accustomed to uh, to getting food to go, you know, we, we would regularly just kind of order from Bulldog Burger Company and then uh, go by, get it, bring it home, and uh, and have a great time. And so you could do the same thing too. And yet, listen, I look forward to going out and having people kind of be able to refill your drink and you know, kind of be waited on. And I don't mean that in a negative the negative connotation, but it's so nice to be able to go out to eat and kind of let somebody else worrying about the cooking and that sort of stuff. Uh, and you can find great experiences at Bulldog Burger Company in two locations now, right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by, see them, or place an online order. Go to eatwithus.com, and uh, you can set up a, a to-go order. Go by, pick it up. They'll bring it out to you. They're happy to do that. Great people that know how to feed people, part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle for many, many years. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M E A. Throughout the month of July, one of the things that I have said on the show is there's not going to be a lot to know this month to be able to enjoy the month of July. Well, the Big Ten jumped out yesterday and says, you know what, we're going to change that, sir. 
we're going to go ahead and make a proclamation that we're only going to play conference games this year. And so that began this, you know, trickle-down effect. It was the first domino to fall. And now other people are saying, okay, well, listen, ACC is leaning towards doing that. Pac-12 is going to do that. And now Greg Sackey's come out and uh, made some statements, but uh, unofficially we're told that there will be meetings between all 14 schools and the league office as early as next week to begin to gather data and have some sense of community in the decision. That's one of the things that I read yesterday uh, about the Big Ten decision is that most of the coaches were completely blindsided by this. And it's kind of reminiscent, too, of uh, Mark Emmert's decision. And I won't put all that on Mark Emmert because obviously there are a lot of people involved in that process. But when the NCAA announced that they were canceling spring sports and championships without any any feedback at all uh, from the SEC or, or other conferences around the country. And so what it appears to be to me is that Sankey is at least going to get the pulse of everybody in the league before the SEC makes any decisions. And some would say, well, well, if the Big Ten is canceling non-conference games, doesn't that mean the SEC has to as well? And the answer to that question is no. That said, it won't surprise me in the least if that happens. And that will be devastating for many programs around the country. Many programs around the country. So let's, let's kind of look at all of the – let's, let's kind of work it through here and look at the ramifications of canceling non-conference games. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is you begin to think about, well, there are going to be some teams out there, and Mississippi State might be one of them, that would need those non-conference wins to be bowl eligible. One of the things that I'm told by some folks kind of in the decisions is that in the event that we even had bowl games this year, I mean, listen, we've got to have a season first, but in the event that we actually had bowl games, and there's no guarantee of that happening, that there essentially would be the, the waiver of the bowl eligibility and that the SEC and other teams would still kind of rank their teams based on standings and make those arrangements. But I think at this point for anybody to expect bowl games is probably expecting a little bit too much. we got to walk before we run, right? So that's one of the things you look at. So you could, let's, let's say theoretically we did just play conference games and we did have bowl games. You could have four and four teams go into bowl games. I guess you conceivably could have three and five teams going. And I don't think anybody would complain because this is a season unlike anything that we have ever seen. You know, World War II caused the cancellation of, uh, of a year. You know, there were a lot of teams in the SEC that didn't field a team. Georgia Tech won the SEC that year, and I think I don't even know we should allow them to celebrate that. But uh, be that as it may, this is a year unlike any other. And so the normal rules will not apply when it comes to games, you know, attendance, bowl games, any of that. And there's a lot of people out there, and like me, I'm sure many of you are thinking, you know what, I need to have this to feel like that I have something to look forward to. Not, not that life is awful, but life is so much better when we have a rooting interest and we can huddle together as a community and unite under one banner and be able to kind of forget our problems for a little while. You know, maybe for a while, you know, we've got some things in our lives that, uh, you know, going to a college football game just gives us a few hours to kind of escape from that for a while and make life a little more livable. And so I, I get it. I share that with you, not just from a business point of view or a professional perspective, but as a human being. 
I, I want us to be able to play football. You know, I don't want anybody to have to put themselves at unnecessary risk. Uh, but it is incredible the way that the data has kind of been manipulated uh, based on people's narrative. There's some people out there that will tell you that it's worse now than ever. And other people will say, yeah, well, there's a lot more people that are testing positive, but they're not getting sick, and we don't, we're not seeing a ton of hospitalizations go up, and we're not seeing a bunch of uh, mortality rate go up. But that's not the show that I want to have. I just know this. I, I'm ready for this to change, like many of you, but I also understand there are risks involved. And uh, that's what the league leaders and officials will discuss next week is, you know, what are the risks involved here? What are the protocols? Can we conceivably play college football this year? And can we do it safely in a manner that is uh, protective of both spectators, uh, event staff, uh, management folks, and, uh, you know, the people that, that are taking your tickets and that, that sort of stuff? There are a lot of people that are employed by college football. There are a lot of people that kind of make this thing go that they don't get their names in the paper. And so all of those people, uh, by being involved in this process, are somewhat putting themselves at risk. And one of the things that I have thought about throughout this uh, quarantine, pandemic, and all that sort of stuff is uh, I think there is a good chance that we're going to get completely away from paper tickets, cardboard tickets, you know, because those things have to be handled. I, I think I think you're going to see everybody pretty much go to a smartphone system that uh, you're going to have electronic ticketing. Your ticket master's done it for years. And I know at Mississippi State, you can have an e-ticket or whatever. I think that's what we're going to see. You know, much like the long box of the old CDs, you know, those, those kind of went away in the interest of expense and that sort of stuff. I missed those long boxes. I collected them for years because I thought the artwork was uh, worth hanging on to. And then one day I realized I just had a closet full of cardboard. But, uh, but be that as it may, things change and I think that is one of those things that you'll look at that they'll strongly consider because if you've got you know less things to handle because those tickets pass through a lot of people's hands I don't know how this stuff is uh you know is is communicated and transmitted but uh, if you can lessen uh, the items that we touch and feel among ourselves and chances are you're going to you know kind of lower the risk another thing to consider in all this too is uh financial and i and i listen let's be honest let's not be be naive here the financial part of this thing is driving the bus in many respects and it should it should because it would be devastating not only to our economy nationally but it would be devastating to college athletics as a whole not just a few schools out there and listen when the ivy league canceled you know there, there are those people that are that are just waiting to freak out as soon as that well that's it that's it well number one i the Ivy League playing football is much different than regular football. And I'm not being you know, dismissive of the Ivy League. They don't need that as a financial arm. They don't need that as a revenue stream. Sure, they, they'd like to have it, but it's a completely different league of football. That would be, you know, it's kind of like, and, and this is going to sound disrespectful, and I don't mean it to because I've, I've got some friends that have played in the Ivy League, and they're very well educated, and they're great friends of mine. But we wouldn't cancel the NBA because we canceled the Sarkville Association of Church League Basketball. Because it's a different league. It's a different deal entirely. I mean, Harvard is not coming down here to play Alabama. It is a completely different level of football. Now, we're all dealing with the same risk. You know, we're all dealing with the same interaction on a human standpoint. And so that's something to consider. But, there, you know, again, and I know Morehouse College has canceled their, their season – Everybody's got to do what's best for them. But listen, let's, I'm going to be honest with you. 
And there are a lot of people sometimes that uh, kind of avoid these type of topics. I think it's because of the fact that, uh, you know, maybe they're scared to say it. But the bottom line is there are so many athletic departments out there that are just kind of limping along that have no financial wherewithal whatsoever. And in the event that they had to add more management staff or they had to cut this or cut that, they're going to fold. You've seen it around the country. You've seen some college baseball teams begin to fold. Listen, they didn't just suddenly get into financial trouble. This was just a convenient time to go ahead and pull the trigger on that. Let's go ahead and just go ahead and eliminate baseball. Let's eliminate baseball because of the fact it's a non-revenue producing sport that costs a lot of money to fill the baseball team. And if you're a team up north, it costs a lot of money to, to, uh, to travel the non-conference games, especially in February and March. And so that's a detriment to our financial stability, so we're going to go ahead and cut that. You know, when, when Bowling Green announced that they were cutting their baseball program, you didn't see LSU start to panic because it's a different situation. I mean, you hate it anyway. You hate it for the expansion of the game. But there is a financial piece of this that uh, to ignore – is completely irresponsible. There are tons of people, and Mississippi State's been very fortunate. You know, there hadn't been uh, you know, a lot of layoffs and that sort of stuff. You've, you've read about some of that around the country. But if you think that there have been a lot of layoffs so far in athletics, you just wait if we don't play football. I mean, let's begin to think about this in the grand scheme. At most schools, football and men's basketball are the only sports that generate a profit that's it so without football those other sports lose their funding now mississippi state uh has some you know i guess just a sport or two above the minimum to be in division one okay we're not interested in to be in a division two or a fcs school that we're not going to do that we're going to figure it out but Stanford, you know, has cut uh, several sports. And there are a lot of athletic departments out there that are overextended. And that's one of the points I was trying to make earlier. There are a lot of people out there that uh, I am sure there have been athletic directors and presidents, school presidents that have said, you know, I'm glad that we have a cycling team. But, man, it costs an awful lot of money to have a cycling team. And, man, it sure is great to have, uh, you know, a men's soccer team. But, man, it'd be great if we could produce some money doing that. And there are not a lot of men's soccer teams around anymore due to to Title IX because women's soccer is kind of the counterbalance for men's football. But there are so many athletic departments out there that without football, they wouldn't be able to meet payroll. They wouldn't be able to buy new equipment. Listen, it's easy for us to say, okay, well, look, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to order any new uniforms or we'll just use what we had last year. We'll make do. And there will be some of that penny pension involved, even if we play football, just because of the fact that, um, you know, there's going to be some budgetary crisis around the country. I still expect to play football. I think, matter of fact, I honestly believe that the, these, the recent news is a good thing because it shows that Big Ten officials and others are still expecting to play football. Now, they're looking to minimize their risk a little bit, not playing those non-conference games. But uh, I kind of ask myself, is the virus not going to be contagious when you know, Ohio State and Michigan play, but it would be if when Michigan and Eastern Michigan played? I mean, you know, to me it just makes better sense. Either, either you play or you don't play. 
I don't see the real benefit in not playing the non-conference games. The, the risks are going to be there regardless. But that's just my opinion. But another part of the financial piece, and I don't know that people have really considered this too. I'm going to run some numbers here for you. And listen, they're not last year's numbers, so don't judge me too harshly, okay? I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time. i got to get on the road here in a little bit. i got, I got some funerals to go to. But um, so let, let's talk about what happens to these non-conference teams. Everybody has out-of-league games, some more than others. Here in the SEC, we have four. And so let's look at Southern Miss. And I know a lot of people out there, there are still some old-timers that are still bitter about Southern Miss. I don't see any reason to be upset with Southern Miss. We're a better program. But Southern Miss depends on playing Mississippi State and others to help hit their budget. I looked at some numbers. A couple years ago, Southern Miss had a $28 million operating budget for athletics, $28 million. That particular year, they played Alabama and Mississippi State. Alabama paid them $1.85 million to play a football game. Mississippi State played, paid $1.2 million to play a football game. So you can do the math on that. That's just north of $3 million. And you remember their, their operating budget was $28 million. So over 10% of their budget came from playing two SEC Western Division teams. So now you remove that, well, then all of a sudden there's a $3 million shortfall for that year. So, you know, you and I both know generally the, the, the biggest expenditure that a business has is payroll. So then all of a sudden you start trickling down, you start to have laying off support staffers, and you got to have coaches do more things. Another interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people realize, and I know it's other miss, I got these numbers, but uh, <clears throat> part of their $28 million dollars, over $6 million came from student fees. Over $6 million. So let's say there's a reduction in enrollment. Let's say there's a reduction in student fees paid. Well, there's a shortfall there. and That, that could be, God forbid, it's cut in half. But no matter what it is, it's significant. You know, let, let's say everybody goes online courses or whatever, and there's a reduction in student fees. And, and now all of a sudden you begin to think about, okay, what about the health of the university as a whole, not just athletics? What about the university? We're going to have to start closing some classes. We're going to combine some classes and, and put people online here. Let's get a little deeper and talk about our HBCUs in Mississippi. One of the best things that I, I'll give Scott Strickland a lot of credit for this. One of the best things that he did at Mississippi State, not just for the state of Mississippi, not just for Mississippi State, but for those HBCUs, as we started playing them, we started playing them in football. We played Jackson State, Dunn Mullen's first game. We had Arcorn State here. There was some talk about playing Valley that ever came together. But if we're going to write the check anyway, if we're going to write the check to play some non-conference team, to play some FCS team, why not do something for the betterment of our state? Why not help Jackson State? Listen, we're not recruiting against them. We're not competing against them for players. But why not do something that is helpful to those schools and to other Mississippians? Why not help them put a quality product on the field? Why not help that university uh, have some financial well-being? I think that makes perfect sense, and it was I give Scott Strickland a tremendous amount of credit for that. I thought it was very forward-thinking. I remember how historical that was. And let's be honest, if you're going to play an FCS team, you're, you're going to beat them. 
99 times out of 100. I guess you put Maine on the schedule and things get a little, little dicey. Uh, but my point being is that if we're going to cut a check to play a football game for a rent-a-win game, rather than us paying Gardner-Webb, let's play all corner Jackson State. I don't care if we play them every other year. Because let's be honest, you think there's a lot of Gardner-Webb fans going to come to the ball game? No. But there will be a lot of Jackson State fans come. There will be a lot of Alcorn State fans that come. And I don't know if you remember this, but Justin Malone. Remember Justin Malone that played offensive line for Mississippi State? One of his first experiences at Mississippi State was coming to watch his brother, who was a player at Alcorn State, play against Mississippi State. So we got Justin Malone and his family in. All of a sudden, his brother comes back and tells them how great an experience it was and how much fun it was. And even though they knew they weren't going to win the ball game, got a chance to go in here and play in an SEC venue. And next thing you know, everybody in the family walks away feeling good. Said, you know what, man, this was really great. This was a really good thing. And so I get off my soapbox a little bit now, but I think that's something we should consider going forward. And listen, if, if they start saying, okay, listen, we're going to start canceling non-conference games, you know, m- maybe it's in the best interest of the schools in the state of Mississippi to play each other. Maybe if we can make that work. You know, listen, NC State, they want to come. Okay, cool. You're going to give us the Power 5 exemption because of the, uh, the circumstances behind all this, but we'll, do, we'll pick up and play Southern again. We'll play Jackson State. Ole Miss can play Alcorn, you know. And so I don't know if that is even possible, but I know that the, the HBCUs are going to feel this crunch worse than anybody uh, if they remove these non-conference games. Let, let's, let's get into that just a little bit here. When Southern Miss played Alcorn State, and granted Alcorn made a lot more money when they played Mississippi State, but a couple years ago, Southern Miss wrote a check to Alcorn State for $325,000 to play a football game. They probably got double that when they came here. But Alcorn State's operating budget, their revenue that year, $6.3 million. 6.3. Remember, Southern Miss got paid over $3 million to play two games. Alcorn State's trying to field a ton of athletic teams on $6 million. You don't think it helps them? And so now all of a sudden you're removing that revenue stream. You're removing the possibility of those guys playing a game for much-needed resources that allow them to, to put a team on the field. I know one of the things I learned several years ago was when uh, Mississippi State had some rainouts in, in baseball and uh, had to pick up a game against Mississippi Valley. I believe it's correct. I believe it was Valley. It was one of our HBCUs. I may have the details wrong on that part of it. But, uh, you know, we're trying to, sitting there trying to schedule a game and say, hey, will you guys come play? And it goes, yeah, we'll do it. And so they got their check, but they said, hey, listen, can you give us some baseballs and some catcher's gear? We're running a little bit short. But if you could give us some stuff that will help our kids, we'll come play the game. Mississippi Valley, a couple years ago, their entire football ticket take for the entire season, $102,000. That's how much money they made selling tickets for football games at Interbeta, Mississippi. That's it. $102,000. And so now all of a sudden, if – Mississippi State's not going to play Southern Miss. And Southern Miss is not going to have the money, obviously, to put uh, you know their budget together that they expected to. Well, then all of a sudden, they're not going to be able to play Alcorn. And so then all of a sudden, everybody involved, everybody in that chain takes a hit. I understand Mississippi State had a very substantial rainy day fund 
thanks to Larry Templeton and Greg Byrne, Scott Strickland, John Cohen. They have uh, been very good stewards of our resources and our money. And so Mississippi State is actually in pretty good shape. But it's a rainy day fund. It's not a hurricane relief fund. Nobody anticipated anything like this happening. Mississippi State will probably be able to roll with the punches a little, a little better than maybe some other schools of comparable size and station in life. For HBCUs and for our G5 schools, uh, that is non-existent. Absolutely non-existent. So, so what happens from here? Do we bail everybody out? No, I think we try to find a way to go play football. If we don't play the football games, then all of a sudden we're defaulting on the TV contracts. You know that big check every year that the, <clears throat> that the ESPN writes the SEC that trickles down, all the schools split the disbursement? Well, if we don't play football, we're in default of that contract. So what happens to that, that money? And so you begin to look at all that. And listen, at the end of the day, there's a lot more to life than money. But if you don't think that's a factor in the decision, you're kidding yourself a little bit. You're kidding yourself a lot. That's a huge part of this. I still believe they're going to find a way to play. Does that mean that we have, uh, you know, fans? I don't know. I saw Ray Tanner said recently he, he could see fifteen to 20,000 fans as part of a social distancing protocol. You know, what do you do when you sold 45,000 season tickets? How do you decide who gets to go? How does that end your relationships going forward when you say, hey, listen, we love you, however, we're going to only be able to give tickets to, um, you know, to our, our largest donors. They're the only ones that are going to be able to come. And then you say, okay, well, listen, we want to be fair to everybody, so let's put a ticket lottery together. And then all of a sudden some, you know, million-dollar donor doesn't get tickets to a ball game, and all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, I gave a million dollars. Why do I, why do I have to stay home uh, while some T-shirt alum gets to go? Or sidewalk alone. Those are things we think about. Uh, so the latest information that I read before I came online today with you guys is that uh, there will be a decision made late July, early August. That's one of the things that I, we've talked about pretty consistently. Is Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. So it's probably going to be early August, run the 1st of August. With the Big Ten jumping out first, I think it makes it easier for other conferences to say, hey, listen, we're going to... We're going to follow suit. That seems like the right thing to do. So we may have a decision later in July. I don't get the sense that Greg Sankey is going to just play follow the leader. Greg Sankey is uh, is a brilliant guy. I haven't always uh, agreed with his handling of football officials. I always thought that they should be a little better system in place for all that, as you guys are well aware. But this is a guy that is very capable of leading our league and, and making good decisions, and, and I, I trust his judgment. I, I really do. And, and I know that he will not uh, act as some Bolshevik out there without the, uh, the support of the league membership. We're not all going to agree, but I think everybody understands how dire the situation can be. And it's the thing that, that there are so many people out there, and, and they say these things online almost in jest. But the thing that I wonder about, and again, I'm not taking a side here or making some political statement, but we had thousands upon thousands upon tens of hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets and protest. And so now that, uh, you know, that has kind of subsided a little bit, you know, uh, why was that okay but not playing college football okay? Why, and I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not taking a – you can go march for whatever you want, making a difference to me. You, you believe – stand for what you believe in. I support that 100%. But why should those folks have a right to go protest and all that kind of stuff and then we can't go watch college football? It's still a large gathering. I don't have all the answers for you, but I'll tell you, I, at this point, I still expect to play football. I, I think that there is probably a much – bigger chance of an abbreviated schedule than ever before because I think at the end of the day I think there are a lot of people out there that are scared to lead and scared to make decisions and so when somebody else does they say okay listen that makes sense that takes the heat off of us let's go ahead and do that 
but I believe that we'll probably begin to have some indications probably in the next week to 10 days about what direction the SEC plans to take. I'll remind you guys, too, for those of you that got, uh, maybe you got a stinker of a gift for Father's Day. Take responsibility for yourself and order yourself some wonderful cologne from the fine folks at Hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. And use promo code Boneyard, B-O-N-E-Y-E-R-D. Get yourself a nice little gift card. I've shared with you many times, visit their site and you can take their quiz. It's about a two-minute quiz. You pick your preferences. This is what I like. This is what I would order. This is what I would eat. And then they will kind of pair you up with scents based on your preferences. So it is cologne that is kind of tailored to you. It's not a one-size-fit-all deal. Your best friend may like some of the same things but like other things and then you know end up with some cologne that smells a little different than yours. And that's a good thing, too. We're not out here as a team. We can smell differently. The best cologne that I've ever had, absolutely, Hawthorne.co. Go by, check them out. Again, that's Hawthorne. H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. They'll get you going. They'll make you smell good. There's a lot of products that you can choose from there. You can get body wash. You can get shampoo, conditioner. Anything you need to smell like a man, you find right there at Hawthorne.co. Okay, let's get into our top ten list. I've been excited about this. I've been thinking about this for a couple days now, ever since we uh, finished up on Wednesday. Our buddy Rob reached out. So glad it's finally Van Halen week. It is. It is Van Halen week, but we will not have a Gary Sharon day. All right, so let's jump in here. Again, I, I think the um, you know, the better part of the Van Halen catalog are the David Lee Roth years. I, I think that is. I think we can all agree that is the superior portion of the catalog. But that said, some great songs. I was a Sammy Hagar fan, uh, you know, before we joined Van Halen. I remember when all that stuff happened. It was when Dave, when David Lee Roth left and did that that solo EP, Crazy from the Heat redid California Girls and everything, I thought, well, this is just a temporary thing. He'll be right back with Van Halen. And next thing you know, Sammy's in at Van Halen. David Lee Roth uh, introduces us to Steve Vai and uh, Billy Sheehan, and they they put together uh, the David Lee Roth band was great. Uh, That uh, Eat Em and Smile album with Yankee Rose, that when when I heard Steve Vai for the first time in a real band, it was was one of those things I'll always remember. And then the Skyscraper album was also great, but... uh, but it just wasn't the same. But I feel like in many respects, where we used to have one great band, all of a sudden I had two really good bands. Two bands that I really liked. And uh, it was different. It was good. A couple of honorable mentions for you that didn't make the top ten. Love Walks In and Summer Nights. You know those. Oh, that's up to 5150 album. You know that. All right, so here are my top ten. You could have your own top ten. Your top ten would be incorrect. But here we go. And I think we can all agree on the songs. We may, we may disagree on the order, but I think I think we agree. One of my favorite Van Halen songs, especially the last 15 years, is, is number three. And we'll get to that. There are a lot of other people that maybe disagree. I think it's the best song on that album. All right, so let's go to number 10. Number 10 for me is Pound Cake. Uh, what Eddie did on that song is just so, so incredibly cool. Um, loved the vibe on that song. I thought Sammy's vocals were great. And that's on the album For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, which uh, is kind of Sammy Hagar and Eddie Van Halen's kind of middle finger towards censorship. Number nine for me is uh, When It's Love off the OU812 album. You know, I think that's one thing that I'll say. David Lee Roth didn't really have the balladeer voice. 
you know, Dave needed to be out there hollering and screaming and doing the crescent kicks and that sort of stuff. You know, Sammy had the vocal range to really sing those ballads, and I think that opened up a part of uh, of Van Halen that was kind of untapped. Number eight for me, another one of those cool songs. You know, the tone on this song guitar-wise is different than anything else in the catalog, and that's Finish What You Started. I really thought that was one of, when I first saw Eddie Van Halen playing the song. I thought, you know, this is so different from what I'm used to. I think it really just kind of speaks to his greatness, too, that he's not just a one-trick pony that can kind of play a certain way. I think Eddie Van Halen is an absolute virtuoso. He is one of those people we look back, and I'm so glad that I was alive to see it. Number seven for me is uh, Why Can't This Be Love? If I'm not mistaken, and Rob will correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that was the first song off the 5150 album. I think that was the first single that, uh, that was on the radio. And, of course, there was videos and that sort of stuff. Uh, but I think Why Can't This Be Love? I think that was the one that kind of ushered us in. I think we heard that one. Like, oh, okay, this might be okay. It's not the same, but it might be okay. And it was. Number six, uh, a, a, video, a video that won tons of video music awards. And I remember Sammy wearing that fabulous fabulous checkerboard uh, tuxedo that night but it's right now and uh, there's been so many people that have played that song at sporting events over the years it's kind of become one of those anthemic songs that people remember Van Halen for number five for me this is a I won't call it a b-side it was a single but it wasn't a huge hit for Van Halen but I I think the song is underappreciated and that's Runaround. I, I, the vocals on that song are great. I, I think it's, a, it's one of those songs that you put on. It should probably be on your workout playlist. It's, just, it, it's a great up-tempo song that really kind of gets you going, kind of gets the blood flowing. I think you'll appreciate that. If you haven't listened to that in a while, let me encourage you to go back and dial that up. Number four for me, also off of OU812, is Black and Blue. Great song. One of the I, you know, that OU812 album might actually have been the best of the Van Hagar albums because there are so many songs on there that were singles and others that should have been, but Black and Blue was kind of the lead song on that album to kind of get them going. And again, I think Eddie is incredible on in that. Number three for me, and the only song on here off of Balance, and this is really when I thought that Van Halen would Sammy was kind of beginning to deteriorate. You know, we had that huge 5150 album, and there was the novelty of that. Okay, well, let me see what this sounds like. Okay, well, this, is, this isn't so bad. And then OU812 came out, and I think we were kind of over the fact that Dave wasn't coming back, and I think it was a tremendous album. Then you get into Front for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and, and, and that one was, there was some, some high points, but there was, some, there was some hot and cold with that. But I think when you got into balance, I think the the song the, the album really lacked punch, but I think I can't stop loving you. That that is one I, that's one of the songs that I could listen to over and over again. You know, there's some songs you put on repeat. Uh, that's one of them. I love Alex Van Halen's uh, percussion pieces on this. Uh, he is so underappreciated as a musician, and, I, and I, I guess that's part of being part of a talented group of brothers. Alex Van Halen doesn't get the respect that he deserves as a percussionist. But I thought he was great on this one. And, and of course, I mentioned Hot for Teacher on Wednesday. Uh, Van Halen doesn't go without Alex Van Halen. Number, number two for me is the second track 
on the 5150 album, the second single, and that's Dreams. And uh, that's the video, if you remember, with the Blue Angels. And I think that actually helped that album. I think a lot of people that they weren't able to get out and go to air shows, and you saw that you were amazed by what you saw, and it made the song even better. But uh, I love the keys on that song. I think Eddie does such a great job putting that thing together. Uh, it's one of the, to me, I thought, why can't this be love? Probably introduced us to a new band but i think dreams kind of made us realize you know what these guys are serious they're, they're going to make a run at this thing it's not just a, a flash in the pan but number one and, and and listen you guys talked about it on twitter and uh and you're right but it's got to be human beings man off the twister soundtrack that that is without a doubt the most rocking song of the Sammy Hagar era of the Van Halen catalog. It, that is one of those incredible songs. I, it made me want to go see the movie, man. Like when I saw that video, I, I was like, and I did go see it. Matter of fact, I remember I saw it in Lafayette. But I remember walking out of there. And because, uh, you know, they played that song a couple times. You know, you could hear it in the background. And, and uh, while that was a great movie, man, that song is just one of those ones. Again, the percussion's great. Eddie's great. The vocals are great. The harmonies are great. And that's the thing that I miss now about what's happened with Van Halen is that, uh, you know, I'm sure Wolfie does a great job. You know, he, he plays bass also in the Mark Tremonti project, but uh, it's just a different deal without Michael Anthony. And Michael, of course, and Sammy and Joe Satriani put a band together called Chicken Foot. It's just not the same. It's not as good. But uh, it's incredible how we begin to kind of mourn the loss of that as Van Halen changed. And uh, it's just been a different deal. But uh but that's one of those songs. It is without a doubt one of the best songs in the entire catalog, regardless of who the singer has been. But when I think about the Sammy Hagar years of Van Halen, that's the first song I say, hey, if we're going to listen to anything from that era, that's what I want to listen to first. That's the list. Let me know if you have ideas for the top 10 lists. Reach out, let me know. I'll use some of them and uh, I'll give you credit for it. And, um, so again, this one, this one uh, was uh, Jay Hopkins that came up with this idea, and then it became Jay's a pretty regular contributor to the top ten list. He'll he'll say, "Hey, listen, I was thinking about this," and he'll send me two or three, and then I'll grab them and run with them. So uh, most of these have been about music and movies, but if you've got other things, let me know. I've, we've done dinosaurs and uh, cartoon characters. Somebody asked me to do my my a top ten list of the Smurfs. I don't remember if we did it or not. You know, I, I'm getting old, but. Um, thankful for the top 10 list campus bookmark longtime sponsors of this show man you need to go by and check them out stan ray miss kathy brown the lovely talented Susie, the whole crew there will treat you like family because you know what you are family and right now family means more than ever if you can't make it to town let me encourage you to visit them on the world wide web at campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal boneyard listener we'll give you a phrase that pays you already know it before i say it it's bsr which stands for beautiful steve robertson and that will get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. And in these times, it is so nice to be able to, uh, to save a little cash because online shopping is so in vogue right now, and everybody's kind of trending in that direction. Do business with Bulldogs whenever possible, and that's what you've got at Campus Bookmark. You've got people that are committed to Mississippi State, people that kind of rise and fall in the wins and losses of your program. They're not just here to do business. They're here to be a part of your Bulldog community. Campus Bookmark. So let's uh, let's get ready, get ready to get out of here. There's uh, there's a lot to talk about and a lot to think about as we kind of move forward with with uh, with what's happened 
you know, and what continues to happen with us. And, and listen, there are a lot of people who are scared. And, and you know, listen, that is, that, is a, that is a reasonable fear. You know, it's like, listen, I get into the whole thing, you know, because, well, you know, you can't live in fear. And I, I agree with that, too, but we have to live with some type of precautions. But uh, college football is a huge part of the American fabric. It is one of the things that we, we can put our differences aside and everybody be a part of something special. And so to have that taken from us would be so detrimental and uh, it would be devastating. I have read so many comments attributed to people that uh, are speaking under the cloak of anonymity and they'll just sit here and tell you. I said, you know, listen, if we don't play college football, college athletics is going bankrupt. And uh, that's the reality of this situation. We think life has changed. Life has really not changed for many people. You know, we've got obviously there's some people that have lost jobs, but you know many of them will bounce back, and it's easy for me to say. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there, that, of course, that um, that own businesses that are struggling. That, uh, that really, there really hasn't been a lot of recovery. But if that will pale in comparison to what happens if we don't play football around around the country, not you know, and we've read all this stuff about you know, the NFL and the NBA and NHL and MLS and. Uh, they're going to give it a go. We're already seeing some um, some English uh, Premier League teams across the pond uh, playing some games, and now it just seems like that now that these other organizations have kind of come out and said, "Hey, we're going to play." Well, now all of a sudden, you know, the attack dogs are like, "Well, well, you can't play college," and if we're going to play the NFL, why can't we play college? And if and if we can play college why can't we play high school and and listen i i get it there are a lot of risk involved but the risk generally aren't for the student athletes you know if you if you look at the you know the graphs and sort of stuff there are a lot of the schools that are going to be back in session soon uh and that's the thing if, if we can go to school together and uh share a space and that sort of stuff why, why can't we play football together why couldn't we tackle and so i don't have the answers to all those questions but I know that football is a big part of who we are. And I've shared this story many times you know, about Coach Bill Clay, former Alabama coach, when he was working for ESPN, and it was in the days after 9-11, and said he was uh, on his way to go cover a ball game and uh, the day before and stopped in at, at a little gas station in Alabama and uh, said he got the call that the game was canceled. And so the guy had asked him, he said, Coach, we play him football. And he told him. And, and so they were really upset. I don't remember what part of Alabama it was. One of the guys, he goes, well, Coach, I'll tell you this. He said, I hate that. He goes, but uh, all I know is that Friday night around here, we're, we're, we're playing football. And he talked about how important it was for us to huddle as a community. And I think that's a good way to put it. And I think what this country needs right now, more so than another debate on Facebook about politics, uh, is a chance for us to kind of put our differences aside, unite under a common cause, and I'm, listen, I'm not saying that we need to do this because our feelings are hurt. I'm just—I think our nation needs some time to mend. I think there are people that need to be reminded that there is something worth living for. And there are so many people out there that uh, I have heard these crazy stories. And there are so many people that are struggling with isolation. I had a story shared with me recently about a young man that was very serious about gaming, and uh, probably too serious about gaming, and. Uh, threw his controller at his monitor and damaged his monitor and he had some expensive gaming monitor or whatever and so rather than go out and just buy him another one his mom and dad made him do chores around the house and kind of made him you know pay for it himself taught him the value of money and taught him 
responsibility for his actions and that sort of stuff. And, and we're good parents. You know, I mean, obviously we made the right decision there to make him kind of earn uh, the opportunity to have, uh, you know, this special monitor again. Well, they, as life went on, they get his monitor back for his birthday. And lo and behold, something happens to the monitor again. And the kid hung himself. And uh, I don't say that to end on a negative note, but uh, one of the things the dad told him is t- told the world when he shared this the story is that um, the kid had really struggled with isolation. He had struggled not being around his friends and being able to go to school and and being able to uh, to reconnect with them or go to the mall or have spend a night parties and that sort of stuff. And that he had really struggled by himself. And that's the thing too that I think about with with all the technology available to us. We feel like sometimes we're in the same room, we are connected, but there's just nothing like being there. There's nothing like having that social interaction. As humans, we are social beings. We need to have other interaction with other humans. And, you know, I spent the the majority of the quarantine at home uh, working on the book Alpha Dogs and spent a lot of time to myself. And there were times, you know, my my girls, I give my girls a lot of credit. You know, it's like... uh, Sometimes they remind me that I have a, a life outside of this house. Because when I get to working on something, I, I become so obsessive about it, I get kind of reclusive. And so I said, hey, once you finish that, let's go, let's go to campus and walk around the lake. Let's go do this. Let's get out of the house and do that. And uh, you forget how beneficial that is until you go do it. And I'm not saying let's all go you know, get together and be all willy-nilly, but... Uh, it's good to get out and get some fresh air and be able to do something because um, with all of this doom and gloom in the world, there's been a lot of depression. So take care of yourself. Remember, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't believe it is the front of an oncoming train. I believe that there is uh, that we're going to have some, you know, resumption of normalcy at some point. We're going to have to be careful. But you know, I think about so many of our ancestors and. Uh, you guys are well aware that uh, you know I spent a lot of time this year uh, working on that book, but uh, spent a lot of time researching the Alan McKean chapter, interviewed some former players, and uh, I began to think about you know what was it like to live through World War II? What was what was that like? Because it wasn't just as simple as we had troops on foreign shores. You know the entire country changed. You know, you had uh, you had manufacturing businesses that uh, began to just produce military supplies. We canceled college football for the most part. Everybody was united in a war, and I'm sure it seemed like it was going to last forever. You know, we had imperialism in Europe, and we had uh, racism in Europe. And uh, it was widespread, and the world was at war, and we didn't ask to be in the middle of that. We were drawn into that. We were attacked and had to get involved, and that's really when things changed. Once the Americans got involved, uh, life began to change for a lot of people that were evil people around the world. And so what we're dealing with is dangerous and it's scary but it's nothing compared to what our grandfathers went through 
and some of our even some of our, our our veterans today are still alive and some of your dads that that uh we call them america's greatest generation and and i can't argue against that and so when i think about what they lived with day in and day out many housewives around the country raising children rising and falling every single day hoping that they don't get a phone call or a visit from uh you know the military that their loved one uh, has found harm's way in a foreign land and i think about some of the ideals that uh, were a part of that that we have lost you know with all the convenience and technology of the day i think sometimes we forget that there were a lot of people that fought for uh, for us to have what we have that we so often take for granted and so if my responsibility in this crisis is to share information, to be responsible, uh, to get out and, and not be a carrier of, uh, of disease and that sort of stuff, that, that is a small price to pay, considering that what the generations before me have done to give me the right. And, and I, I think about my dad many times and how he would handle all of this, and I don't know that he and I would agree about everything. But I do know this. My dad would probably think a lot less of me uh, if, if I was a whiner and a complainer and a griper. You know, when tough times come, you do what you have to do. You know, we don't get a vote. We don't have to pick up and say, listen, hey, guys, listen, I don't, I don't want to do this. You know, there are some things we have to do just because of the fact it's, it's, it's with the right thing for the common good. I'm not going to be selfish. I want you guys to be able to come watch college football. I want you guys to be a part of all of this. And uh, it, listen, it's been a tough week for my family. It really has been. It's been a difficult week for me. It really has. And one of the things I've looked forward to uh, th- today, especially, was to put this show together. Uh, I'm going to be on the road soon, and uh, we're finishing up the final read of the book, and uh, I'm very, very proud of that. And, and uh, as I read back to some chapters last night, and I'll do a few more today before I get on the road, I read back through that game of change chapter. And uh, when I got done with it, I picked up the phone and I, I called my, my publisher and I said, you know, I don't know how you feel, but I think we nailed this Game of Change chapter. I really do. I think we did a great job. And if you had to pick one story in the history of Mississippi State, if you had to pick one that best typified and explained the identity of who Mississippi State people are, it is the Game of Change. And as I began to think about Red Stroud and Joe Dan Gold and all the people involved in all of that, Stan, Stan Brinker, people that I've never known, people that I only know their names, that their names to this day still cast such a huge shadow over Mississippi State, and over the state of Mississippi, and over our nation. It makes me really, really proud to be of the same tribe as those people that stood up and really fate, you know, faced a foe that is so incredibly more imposing than the one that we face at this point. And so my hope is, is that we still have some of that spirit within us. We can say, you know what, we're going to do what we got to do. We're going to do what's right for everybody involved. Maybe some people out there that disagree with us, but we're going to do the right thing. So I'm so very proud Uh, to be a Mississippi State Bulldog, and I hope that we have a chance to get together soon and celebrate our Mississippi State-ness and the the joy of being a Bulldog. And uh, I trust that our leadership will make good decisions. But come what may, 
uh, we will remain united as a family and that we will survive this. This too shall pass. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.